Isn't that a beautiful video? <clears throat> Maybe you heard the story. The little girl went to her mom and asked, Mom, where did the human race all come from? And mom said, well, there was these two people, Adam and Eve. God created them, put them in the Garden of Eden, and they started the whole human race. They all came from Adam and Eve. And she was satisfied. The next day she asked her dad, Dad, now where did we all come from? Where did the whole human race come from? And he said, well, there's this thing called evolution that these monkeys came, kind of came out of nowhere, and then we all just kind of evolved from monkeys. And so the little girl was kind of perplexed, and she went to her mom the next day and said, Mom, I'm kind of confused. She said, so you said that God created everything and it all came from God, and then Dad told me that it all came from evolution and we came from monkeys. So I don't understand. And she said, oh, that's easy. I was telling you about my side of the family and he was telling you about his. <laughs> so, oh, very good. You watch a video like that, though, it's a powerful video, and all these different mothers in the Bible, and we're going to look today at another mother. We could call them the faithful mother, maybe the faithful mothers, and we're going to look at a text in the scriptures today that I think is pretty powerful as we think about these faithful mothers. The reality is, and hopefully today we can understand this even in the text, that every mother is valuable and every mother is vital, and we need to see our value and, and just how vital we are to God's plan and uh, what God is doing in the world, and what God is doing within the confines of the church, and even within the confines of eternity. Mothers are extremely important. So a mother's trust is the name of this message today. And while the thoughts are certainly aimed at moms, there's going to be something for all of us in here that we can take into our own uh, self, into our own spirit, and grow from today. Turn with me, if you would, then, to 2 Timothy chapter 1. That's where we're going to be this morning. And the scriptures are on the screen here. And I'll read here 11 verses of this story. And as we read through this, I want you to notice in here there are three different trusts that are identified. And we'll see if we can see them as we go through this. But Paul writes this, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. As I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. So Paul is writing to a young pastor named Timothy. He is taking over the church at Ephesus, and Paul's writing to him here. Going on in verse 6, for this reason, writes Paul, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. 
Three trusts are identified in this passage. The first one, Paul had a trust. And Paul says that he was faithful in keeping that trust. Other parts of Scripture tell us that Paul said, I was faithful in keeping the trust given to me, which was, would have been his ministry that he was called to. At the same time, though, also, Timothy was given a trust. And Paul is encouraging this young pastor, Timothy, as he takes over the church at Ephesus. He's encouraging him to be faithful to his trust as well. But there is a third trust tucked away in this passage and you have to kind of read between the lines to catch it. But I think it is clearly there and it's this reality that Eunice and Lois were given a trust. Who are Eunice and Lois? They are the mother and the grandmother of this pastor, this young pastor Timothy. His mother and his grandmother and they have been given a trust as well and they were faithful with that trust. The key verse today in this passage um, and just note in this what I believe Paul is deliberately doing is elevating the status uh, and the emphasis of mothers and grandmothers deliberately pointing out Timothy's mother and grandmother. His father actually was a Greek and probably was an unbeliever, but his mother and grandmother, they were devout Jews. They grew up knowing the, the Jewish scriptures and following Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they have become now, of course, believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Messiah. They've, they've believed the gospel that Paul is preaching. And so now they are not under law, but they're under grace. But his dad probably is an unbeliever. He was a Greek. And so... Just note how he points that out. The key verse here, verse 5, I am reminded of your sincere faith, Timothy, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. <clears throat> Just a great little verse there. Now here's what I want us to see today. And, and as he elevates the status here of mothers and grandmothers, let's go to Psalms 130. I want to develop a simple thought that kind of will give us a little bit of a foundation to this message. Um, Psalms 139, here's what David writes in the Old Testament. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you and I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book. Substance in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. This passage gives us some insight into every life that is born. And there's just a couple of fascinating things that I think are really significant here. Um, we see that every time a life is conceived, a soul is formed. And this really gets into that hot button issue today. There's that movie out called Unplanned. It, it kind of swept through the nation. It dealt with this issue of abortion. And, and what, is the, what is God's stance on abortion? Well, I can tell you God's stance on abortion is very clear. The minute a life is conceived, here's what God does. First of all, understand that every life is created in the image of God. We were created in the image of God back in the Garden of Eden. And everybody then is created in God's image with an eternal soul. I should say an eternal soul on there. And I got the wrong slide. But Every life is created in God's image and has an eternal soul. Will live for eternity in life or eternity in death. And you need to know that. We need to, that's very foundational to going forward this morning. But at the same time, something else happens. Everybody has a designer soul. The soul is eternal, but it's also a designer soul. Here's what happens the moment that any, that any life is conceived in a mother's womb. God steps down and gets involved and gives that life a soul because it's created in his image, and he designs that soul 
to his specifications, what he wants that soul to, he designs each soul, each life. He designs it specifically at the moment of conception. So that's pretty significant. And, and think about that reality. Think about what our soul is. Our soul is our personality, our temperament. It's our passions. It's our interests. It's our natural skills and abilities. They say our soul is who we are, really. I mean, soul is, is what defines us, makes us unique. Your soul is what makes you uniquely you. And God gives each person a unique soul. And so everybody's a little different, has a little different temperament and personality, different interests, different abilities, and that is God's doing. But think about the significance of this, the implications of this, that God comes down to every life that's conceived and gives it an eternal soul and designs that life exactly as He wants it to be. That means that God has some ownership over that life. He really does. Think about this verse here. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to Him. Did you know that? That every single life belongs to God. He has ownership over every single child that's born into this world. We don't have the right in our own desires to say what we should do with that child even if we don't want it. It is first and foremost God's. And so every life belongs to God. Now, this is foundational to where we're going today, and here's, here's why it's so foundational. You need to see that God designs that child as he sees fit, and that child is his possession before it is the mother's possession or the father's possession. Here's our big idea. A mother's child is a trust from God, and that requires a trust in God. Every child that is born, it's God's first and foremost, and what God does, takes that child and God entrust that child to that mother. It says, I'm going to give you the trust of this child. God doesn't give the trust of that child to the government, to a state, not even to the church. He gives the trust of that child to a mother and then hopefully a father and together they raise that child as God has intended back from the very earliest pages of Scripture when He identified the family. So I want moms to understand that today, that you have been given a trust from God and your children are entrusted to you from God and that he has first claimed them, but he has entrusted them to you. So here's the thing, three ways to guard the trust that you've been given. We're going to look through this passage we just read, identify three ways to guard the trust that God has given to you with the children God has given to you, and we're going to build as we go through this. The first thing, Mom, is help your children develop solid character. So the first way you, you honor this trust, God, you take that child, you realize that this child has to interact in society and in the world, and you develop within that child solid character. We'll talk more later about how we actually do this, but... Let's unpack this idea here, okay? Look what it says back in 2 Timothy chapter 3. So we're in Timothy again. Paul writing to Timothy yet, and he says this, but as for you, continue in what you have learned. So Timothy's learned some things. How has he learned them? Uh, you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So, just at the outset here, if you want to develop good uh, Solid character in your child. Raise your child on the Holy Scriptures. That's what Eunice and Lois did. 
Now, you've got to understand, they were under law when they were raising uh, uh, Timothy here. Uh, grace hadn't come into effect yet, as per se. They were still under the Jewish law. But they were committed to the Holy Scriptures. And the reality is, is that when Jesus Christ rose from the grave and that message started to come out, they knew the Old Testament Scriptures well enough. They, they knew Isaiah 53 well enough to say, hey, Jesus is the Messiah. He has come. And they knew all those Old Testament stories and Scriptures. And that was foundational to the life of Timothy. So if you're going to develop solid character in your child, it starts really with the, with, um, the Holy Scriptures. And then realize this, realize uh, that you want to raise your child to be a blessing to others. Because in the text we read, it, Paul talks about how Timothy was a joy to him. That he, he, he just remembered Timothy's tears and he had tears for Timothy and they had this great relationship. Timothy was an incredible blessing to Paul. And I think that is so, uh, don't want to overlook that reality. You want to raise children that will be a blessing to other people. I'll give you one example from Paul and Timothy's ministry together in Philippians chapter 2. Here's, here's how Paul again describes Timothy. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him, just Catch that. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. And see how Paul identifies Timothy as one who cares more about the interests of Christ than the interests of himself. There's no one like him. Just think about that and the implications there and how close Timothy and Paul are. Here's the reality. Know that you are raising more than a child, mom. You're raising a student that will interact with teachers. You're raising an employee that will interact with bosses and supervisors one day. You're raising a citizen that will interact with government officials and police officers. And you're also raising a neighbor. Someday your child's going to be his own homeowner and have his own neighbors and settle property disputes and all kinds of stuff. That's who you're raising. Raise someone that will be a blessing to others just as Timothy was an incredible blessing to him. And again, that phrase, there's no one like him. Can you just imagine if one day a teacher came to you and said, man, I have no other student like your student in my class. He's just the greatest kid. Or I have no, I've never had an employee like your son or daughter. They are quite the employee. There's no one like them that I have ever had work for me. That's the kind of thing that you want to hear. You want to raise your child with this solid, solid, solid character. And teach your kids that they can be a blessing to others. Now, just give you one more picture of, 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 Paul, of, of Timothy's character. And I got a lot of scripture in the front end of this message today. But I want you to see another example of Timothy's solid character in an interesting place. 2 Timothy chapter 3, or 1 Timothy chapter 3. Paul writing again to Timothy. And he's giving Timothy really the qualifications for those that will lead in the church. For those that will be the elders and deacons in the church. And just a couple of verses here. He says this, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. And down in verse 7 he says, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Now, do you understand how these verses apply to Timothy? 
What is Timothy? He's just become the pastor at the church of Ephesus. These verses describe Timothy. This is Timothy's character. Now, the age of Timothy here, it's interesting because he's identified as being this young man. Reality is he's somewhere in his late 20s to probably about 40. Somewhere, it's speculative at best how old he is. But even in that day, if you were in your 30s, you were considered quite young. Don't you wish you lived in those days when 30 was young? But anyway, we just see this picture of the great character that Timothy had, and he certainly was well thought of by outsiders, and he was the kind of person that when Paul needed to send someone on a ministry errand, he could take a word from Paul to somebody and uh, bring back a good word from those people to Paul, and uh, Paul really respected and admired Timothy. So just when you think about this reality, just think about uh, the, the child that you're raising. Timothy had the godly character that is required of a pastor. And just, just when, you, when you think about that, think about the children you're raising. You could be raising someone that God, and remember God has first rights to your children. He owns every child. You may be raising a, a pastor and you don't even know it. Who knows one day God might put the call on his life to be a pastor. So develop that character. One last thing about this character issue, and, and I would say this that is really key, is that uh, this solid character has to begin in the home. Just think about that reality. The reality is if, if your children are not a blessing to you and not a blessing in your own home, they're not going to be a blessing to the postman or the person at the bank or the, the boss they work for. Being a blessing, that starts in the home. Uh, Proverbs twenty nine fifteen: the rod and reproof give wisdom but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. And so you don't want your child to bring shame to his mother. Um, of course, Ephesians 6, we know this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. And so the solid character begins in the home. Begins in the home. Now, it, and you might say, well, what do I do if I have a child, you know, that's kind of disrespectful and rebellious and causes me heartache and grief? Well, we're going to look at that as we go through this. There's an answer to that very question as we go through this today. We'll unpack that in just a moment. So first trust is build a solid character in your kids. Here's the second trust we see in the passage. Mom, help your children discover a genuine faith. Help your children discover a genuine faith. And this is probably your most important trust. So Paul said, I'm reminded of your sincere faith that was in your mother and your grandmother, and I'm sure, excuse me, I'm extremely confident this faith is in you. Paul identifies the genuine faith that was at work in Timothy's life, passed on from his mother and grandmother. Now, what does genuine faith mean? Well, let's give you a few uh, ways to look at it. Genuine faith would be mom's example, would be the example of Eunice, Eunice and Lois, their example. That's the genuine faith. There was a real genuine faith that mom and that grandma put on display for Timothy to see. And so they, he, he, had a, he had a picture. Okay, that's what faith is. That's what it means to have faith in God. That's what it means to, to live out faith in Christ. That's just kind of emphasizing the word genuine. And then there's this other side, genuine faith, and it should say the emphasis should be on faith there on the screen, genuine faith. And the genuine faith would be Timothy's personal salvation. That Timothy had come to a personal, into a personal relationship by faith uh, with God. He had come into that relationship. 
In uh, 2 Timothy 3.15, we read it earlier. In fact, here it is again from childhood. You have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Even the Old Testament scriptures point to Christ, point to a Messiah, point to salvation. And so Timothy here had this relationship. He had a relationship with God through faith. He had been saved. He believed that Christ died on the cross. He understood Grace and uh, his life. It's just a beautiful thing to see here and understand this. Now, <clears throat> the, the implication here is that Timothy's mother and grandmother helped Timothy discover this genuine faith. They guided him into salvation. They guided him. Now, there is an issue here. There's a, a bit of a dilemma that occurs. So we talked earlier about how every child is God's and God has created every child with an eternal and a designer soul and he has first rights to every child. There is a problem that came along though. What was that problem? I think we all know the problem. It's, uh, it's this dilemma. We're created in God's image and with a designer soul but the first parents, Adam and Eve, they messed things up. Because they pass the sin gene on to everyone. When they sinned, when they ate that forbidden fruit, now they corrupted God's beautiful creation and they passed down to every child, including you and me, the sin gene. And so our, our first great, uh, great, 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 million time grandparents, whatever, <laughs> sinned and passed that sin gene on to you and me and everybody. That's the dilemma that we have. That's the reality, and so we need to be saved. I've talked about salvation lately, uh, and I've walked through different, really the different phases when you're on a spiritual journey, whether you're considering the claims of Christ, whether you believe the claims of Christ, whether you're actually receiving the claims of Christ and the gospel, or if you're at the point of you're saved and now you're surrendering your life to those very claims. I've been talking about that lately and identifying the gospel very clearly for us. We need to know how to share the gospel real clear with people about how they can come to a relationship with Christ by putting their faith and trust in Him, believing that He died for their sins, rose again and offers them salvation, forgiveness, and new life. That's the reality. But here's, so we have this dilemma that exists here, but here's what I want moms to see. Here's this reality check, and this is really, God has entrusted your kids to your, you. The first parents brought death to all, but you, mom, can bring life to your children. Just think about the implications of that. You can bring life to your children. Just as Lois and Eunice raised Timothy to understand faith in Christ, understand what it means to have a personal relationship with the, their creator and their savior and their redeemer. And so the first parents mess things up, pass death on to everybody. Every mother is entrusted with those children can raise them to find life in Jesus Christ. Genuine faith. That is Timothy's salvation. On your handout, there's another blank there and you could put in your own child's salvation, actually. Timothy's genuine faith is your own salvation. Oh, here's what I was talking about. Considering, believing, receiving, and surrendering. And where are you at on your spiritual journey in responding to the gospel? Everybody's on a different place. And um, you have to get to the point of receiving by faith what Christ has done, receiving what you believe to be true even, and then eventually surrendering and living out your salvation. Okay, reality check. We talk about surrendering too. And when we talk about what it means to surrender to Christ, you know what surrender means? It simply means trusting and resting. Surrendering is not, oh, 
I do all this work. No, it's, surrendering is the opposite. Surrendering is when we stop working. We stop trying to earn and win God's approval. Surrendering is when we say, I give up. I'm not good enough. I can't be good enough. The law can never save me. I need grace. And I surrender and I say, Lord, you do the work through me. I'm all yours. And we just turn ourselves over to him, trusting and resting. That is surrendering. Genuine faith in his Timothy's salvation. He's got this vibrant relationship with Christ and it's very, very evident. And then genuine faith can also mean the new man because when we are saved, we get the new man. The Bible says we get the new man. The old man dies. We get a new man. Christ comes to live in us and this really is very significant. Listening to a, a guy speak this week, And someone had asked him the question, well, why does behavior matter if we're saved by grace? Why does our behavior matter? If we're saved by grace, I mean, what? And he was saying that behavior mattered and she was calling him out on it. You're a grace teacher and behavior doesn't matter because we're saved by grace. And he says, well, you got to ask the question, why does behavior matter? For what reason does behavior matter? And one of the reasons he said behavior matters is because that's how people see our faith. People can't see your faith but they can see your faith expressed through your behavior. That's what Paul said. So Paul says, I'm convinced. I am convinced that you have this genuine faith in you. I'm convinced that you have been saved and you have a new man. Why? Because I can see it in your life and how you live and I can see your behavior that reflects the new man within you. And I think that is really, 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 really powerful when you think about that reality. Here's what it says in Colossians 3. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creation. And it's an amazing thing that happens here. It's an amazing thing. Think about this. It's kind of like you ever have a cell phone and your cell phone goes dead, you know, because the battery isn't charged or the battery altogether dies. Anything that runs on a battery and the battery dies, the phone is dead. Well, that's us. We, our old man is dead and we're dead until Christ comes and gives us life and makes us spiritually alive in him. And once we are alive, then we can live for him. Then we can live a righteous life. Then we can, but until that point, we can't do that. And the implication here is, what what if you have a, a child that's really rebellious, really disrespectful, really a problem, just makes you tear your hair out. And the first place you start is you find, you, you start with their heart and say, hey, do they have the new man? Are they in Christ? Are they saved? Start with their salvation. Because here's the reality. When we are saved, it can impact our behaviors. Not only our behaviors, it impacts our desires. You know, you know some people struggle sometimes. They say, I don't know if I'm saved because, boy, sometimes I just do things I don't like to do and I, I feel like I'm not living the way I should and I'm just not sure I'm saved. And you know what I would say to you? If you ever feel that way, that's proof that you're saved. The proof that you have the, the, that your desires are like, I don't like how I'm living. I don't want to live this way. That's proof. That's the spirit in you. You have the desires that come from God that say, I don't want to live that way. I want to live differently. And I'm struggling with this. And so just start with your child and say, is my child saved? Does he have the new man? Can he have the desire to do what is right 
And does he have the power from the Holy Spirit to carry it out? Very good. So, first trust is build solid character in your kids. Second uh, trust is uh, develop genuine faith in them. And then look at these verses here. We're going we're to come to this, uh, this, this third trust. And we see it in verses 6 and 7. Here's what Paul writes. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has given us, God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Here is our third trust. It is simply this. Mom, help your children realize their fullest potential. Help your children realize their fullest potential. Look at those words for this reason. What does that remind you of? He says, for this reason. It reminds me of what Paul said to the church at Ephesus when he prayed for them. And he, on two occasions he said, for this reason I pray for you. And the point was, for this reason, because of your potential. And he says the same thing here, for this reason. Because of your potential in Christ, fan into flame the gift of God that is in you. Wow. Fanned into flame this gift. And so here's the reality. Because of our potential that flows out of our genuine faith. We have this genuine faith and Christ in me, the new man in me, produces this incredible potential. And so because of your potential, fan into flame. And here's the reality for, for Eunice and Lois. They really have this trust of helping Timothy realize his fullest potential and note that i'm saying realize and not reach reaching your fullest potential kind of puts the onus on you I gotta reach i gotta struggle i gotta work no it's not here it's here it's christ in me right here realizing the potential of christ in my life right here and i realize that and christ works in me and works through me and i can find that potential now, this gift, of course, comes from God. It doesn't come from Timothy. It sounds, or from Paul, it sounds kind of like Paul laid his hands on Timothy and gave him this gift, but that's not the implication there. The implication is, is basically is that Paul laid his hands on Timothy and commissioned him for the ministry, ordained him. Paul and a bunch of other men, actually, a council of, el of elders did this. And they're just acknowledging what God has put in him. They're acknowledging the call of God on his life to be a pastor. And so the gift comes from God, the designer of our soul. It's kind of like this. When you're born the first time, what does God come do? He comes, he comes down and gives you a designer soul with personality and talents and, and, and natural abilities and desires, right? And when you are born again, here's what God does. God comes down. Gives you spiritual gifts. It's right in the Bible. Gives you spiritual gifts. Again, he gets involved. Gives you unique spiritual gifts that are for you. We all have one, two, three, four different spiritual gifts. And God calls us then to use those spiritual gifts to bless the church, the body of Christ. And we need to realize our potential. To help them realize their potential then, what can you do? Well, here's a few practical pointers. Number one, see their individuality. See your child and say, my child's an individual child. God has uniquely designed him. What that means is you don't raise child A and child B exactly the same. Child A might uh, never study, lift a book in their life, get straight A's. Child B might study four hours a night, pull their hair out, and struggle to get C's. Don't expect the same thing out of child A and child B. Some, some children are going to keep their room immaculate. Some kids are 
Well, like me, you know, I didn't keep my room very immaculate. You know, no, each child's going to be different. Don't expect the same thing out of every child. They're unique. They're different. See their individuality. See, the, see what God has put into them. Maybe you're going to raise a pastor. Maybe you're going to raise my, my brother told me yesterday we were talking, his, his one daughter wants to become a chiropractor. So mom and dad can be thrilled. They always wanted me to become a chiropractor. <laughs> so anyway, uh, uh, point is each child is unique and different help them discover who god has desired them to be they have a designer soul help your child reach their potential by knowing their individuality knowing their personality their love language their passion and interests what motivates inspires and frustrates them and raise them accordingly remember this verse this is a principle not a promise this is not a promise get this Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So train up a child according to his personality, his, t- his uniqueness. And when he is old, he will be the most successful in life as, as a principle. It's not a promise that if you teach your children the scriptures and drag them to church every Sunday faithfully for 20 years, that when they grow up, they'll, they'll not walk away from the faith. There's no guarantee of that. It's not a promise, it's a principle because every child also has a free will from God. Second thing you can do is build their identity in Christ. I talk about this one all the time, but it's build their identity in Christ. The reality is today is that the number one way, the easiest way we relate to people and the the earliest thing we do when we meet somebody new in a conversation, what's the first thing we say to you? So what do you do for a living? (laughs) Right? It's just like we define people by what they do all the time. And raise your child to know he's not defined by what he does. I love what it says here in verse 9. Who saved us, God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Just think about this. This is an incredible thing. The truth is to realize your potential in Christ, you need to know your identity in Christ. You need to know who you are in Christ. And so just look at the verse there. God has given us a holy calling and this holy calling and who we are in Christ is not based on what? It's not based on our works. It's not based on how we perform and what we do and how good we are, how faithful. It's based upon what Christ has done. It's based on my surrendering to who Christ is in me and trusting him and resting in him and letting him simply use me for his glory. Two things he mentions there, God's purpose and God's grace. Those things are so vital to us becoming the person that Christ wants us to be. Raise your children to understand they're not defined by what they do, but who they are in Christ and consistently demonstrate grace for them. In fact, here's a great question. So how should your children win your approval? If I ask you that question, how should your children win your approval? How would you fill that blank in? Well, I'll make it real easy for you. They should never have to win your approval, okay? They should have to do nothing to win your approval. How do we win God's approval? We don't win God's approval. We just accept His approval. He loves us. Now, that doesn't mean God always approves of our behavior. It doesn't mean you always approve of your child's behavior. There's a difference between your child and their behavior. So sometimes you will say, I don't approve of that behavior. But I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never love you based upon your performance because God doesn't do that. 
God never does that. Never, ever does that. God deals with us in grace. Teach them dependence. You want to help them realize their potential? Teach them dependence. And yes, this idea of teaching them dependence is uh, it's a paradoxical truth. Yes, we talked about that a lot lately, some of those paradoxical truths. Teaching them defendants is paradoxical. Why? Because what we're, we're taught what? You're supposed to raise your children to do what? Move out of the house, provide, start their own family, and make it on their own, right? That's the truth. Well, I'm here to tell you that that's partially true, but you want to raise your kids to be dependent. Am I dependent? I am dependent. I love my mom and dad, but I'm dependent today upon God more than ever in my life. And I think most of you in the room can say I'm dependent upon God. If I didn't have God, I don't know where I'd be. Teach your kids to grow up and be dependent, to find their dependence in their Heavenly Father and in Christ. That's the very reality. And finally, be intentional. Just be intentional. Think about all the things you're intentional with. You're intentional. Did you brush your teeth today? Did you comb your hair today? Did you put on deodorant today? Did you do your homework today? Did you eat your vegetables today? Were you nice to your teachers today? All the things we're intentional about. We'll be intentional about these spiritual things. About being intentional about saying, I'm going to let you know, remind you every day that God accepts you by grace you're his child, that your identity is in him and not how you perform and not in what you do. I'm going to be intentional about getting you back to the scriptures and teaching you the scriptures the way Lois and Eunice taught those scriptures to young Timothy. I'm going to be intentional about these spiritual realities in your life and how they will shape you. Be intentional about their spiritual development. <clears throat> so there's three aspects to this to how they were faithful with their trust today. They developed the solid character in Timothy. They did. But it's more, than just, it's more than just moral living. They built a solid character in him that was based on what a genuine faith. It was based on Christ in him. It was not just a moral sort of thing. It was, it was the life of Christ working through him. It was the new man demonstrating behavior that, that, that said, hey, I am a child of faith. So solid character, yes. A genuine faith, number two. And then third, a genuine faith that realized its fullest potential. Didn't reach it, it realized its fullest potential as Christ was working through him. Now, let me give you one last thing. So moms, how do you do that? You might say, oh, that's all great. That's great. That's, that's lovely. How do I do that? Well, it's real simple and it's right in the passage. Let me show you. How do you keep this challenge, Mom, and faithfully keep this trust? How do you do this? Um, I think I put the scriptures up here. I hope I did. Uh, yes, 2 Timothy 1. Listen to what Paul says. For I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So Paul's got his own trust, right? Paul's got his own trust given to him by God, and he says, you know what? I am faithful that God, who gave me this trust, will guard this trust. Think about your child that way. I am faithful that God who gave me this trust to my children can guard my children. So there's something there. Remember, and remember, he has first ownership to your kids before you even do. So there's some trust there that you give back to God. Look at what he says in verse 13 and 14 though. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by 
catch this, by what? By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. How, moms, do you carry out this trust faithfully like Eunice and Lois did? It's real simple. By trusting in the God who has given you this trust. And you know what's so beautiful about this? I just told you what your kid, what your child needs, right? They need the grace of God. They need to know, you know, build their identity in Christ. And, and all the stuff that I just said you, your child needs, you know what? That's what you need. That's, that's what we all need. That's how we all are faithful in keeping this trust. And the very things you want to build into your children are the very things. That's the very way you need to be faithful in keeping this trust yourself. Trust in the God who has given you this trust. Trusting in Him and resting in His finished work in your life, realizing that yes, Mom, you're going to struggle, but you know, Mom, you simply need to know God's grace and God's purpose. You simply need to know. And, and, and just raise, think about this, raise your kids. And, and I was thinking of this driving in today, and this is an idea that really needs a little more attention and time probably, but think about the difference between raising your kids on law and raising your kids on grace. And what the difference even of that looks like. God relates to us not through law, but through grace. What does that look like even in your own home? I realize that's a tough one. Let me leave you with a story here. Years ago during graduate studies at Regent College, and this is from Julie uh, Candless in the Bible's best description of salvation is a phrase we rarely use. It's a book she wrote. Listen to this. Years ago during graduate studies at Regent College, I had a desperate talk with Eugene Peterson about my PhD, about how my PhD had turned the words of God into a great big research project. I was trying to read my lifeless Bible, but I was interrupted a thousand times by children needing to be fed, changed, read to, and more. I begged him to give me a spiritual discipline, some rope to haul me out of the hole I was in. Well, Julie, he said, is there anything you are doing in a disciplined manner already? I thought about my newborn daughter, Ionia, and the hours that I spent nailed to our couch feeding her. She had reflux, and most of what went into, uh, most of what went into her immediately came up again, which meant that I had to repeat the feed all over again. Nursing Ionia is the only thing I can count on, I said. She makes sure of that. He patted my head, then like a, parenting, uh, like a parent consoling a dissatisfied child who is not content with their lot in life. Julie, that is your spiritual discipline. Now start paying attention to what you are already doing and be present. In that moment and so many others like it, I was weakened by a very common and insidious temptation. I wanted to be for Christ instead of being in Christ. I saw my familiar responsibilities as obstacles to a godly life when in fact they were the very place he wanted to meet me. Accordingly, I had to radically revise my view of obedience to include the simple act of abiding in Christ. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for these words today. And I know they're aimed for mom, but even as I'm preaching them, I'm just feasting on them myself. And they're filling up my soul. And I'm like, man, this is just what it's about. This is just what it's about. And so, Lord, I pray that you will encourage the moms today in the job that they have, even the grandmothers, that they will know that they're never too old to impact the, the children around them. May we all be faithful in knowing that our kids, yes, our kids are saved and they have the new man and they have the, the desire and the potential and the power to, 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 to do the things that we want to see them do. Otherwise, they're going to be frustrated just trying to live good moralistic lives and that wears you out. 
So God, help us help have the ability to, to really to just get close to them and find out the reality. Yes, they are saved. Yes, they know Christ. And then, Lord, help us just do our best to trust you, to rest in you, and to let you really ultimately just parent through us, to give us the wisdom and the guidance. For those kids of all ages, those kids of all challenges, help us find the uniqueness in our children, the, 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 the designer soul that you put in them. And then, Lord, help us be willing enough to say, I, I get it, Lord. You have first claims to them. Everyone on earth, you own everyone. You have first claims to them. You designed them. Uh, you've entrusted them to me, and I will give them back to you for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.